Understanding CBD, brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Baltimore is listening. This is Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Time now for Understanding CBD, brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Here's Max and Steven. Welcome in to Understanding CBD, episode 81, if you can believe it. Hello there, Max Sobel. Hello there, Stephen Wallman. And hello there, everybody. We're live in the studio today, September 12th, so we can better understand the purpose and the promise of cannabis. So call us, text us now with your questions. We'll get a chance to get to them later. The phone lines are open, 410-922-922. 6680, or you can text us your question at 443-743-2444. Noah, the engineer, is standing by waiting for your call. What a professional he is. Sure is. Um, He'll take your questions, take your comments, take really good care of you. So please, uh, 410-922-6680 is how you get Noah. Um, The song choice today was chosen by Max. What a great song, brother. Thank you. you. Told me that didn't have to make it to our playlist, right? <laughs> it did, right? You're squeezing them in. It's uh, the American funk band War, Low Rider. Great song. Great, 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 great song. 1975. You know, I was inspired by this song because it's just so chill and it's just so applicable to the conversation we're going to have with our guest today. Um, it's a trip through time, and this song is a trip. Oh, that is a trip. I love it. Thanks for uh, selecting that and getting us going here this uh, afternoon here in Baltimore and, and around the world. So today we're answering a question, what is the purpose and the promise of cannabis? And brothers and sisters, wow, did we land the best special guest for you today. Sure enough. Um, this topic's going to fill the entire episode, but we still will only be scratching the surface. So you may want to get a notepad, but <clears throat> if you miss anything for some reason or doze off for some possible reason during a commercial or something max they can find the full episode somewhere where do they do that there is a way there is a way go to understandingcbd.com and there's a tab there for our show you can catch all of our previous 80 episodes Um, you can also find us on any of your uh, preferred podcast services so you just search for understanding cbd with max and steven finally you can also catch us on youtube youtube.com forward slash understanding cbd if you'd like to see our faces yeah, it's a different experience from what they say. You know, driving in the car, you can listen to a podcast, but, uh, you know, you can even fast forward it and watch us in like one and a half times on YouTube. So we can so, talk real fast. That's right. We can get it well, now, time. Now you're going to mess with the algorithm um, with all that thing, I think. But anyway, um, before we get to the news, Max. Hotline. Um, we want to mention that Understanding CBD is brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts for people and pets. Go to maxandstevens.com or call Four one. Uh, I'm sorry. Four four three seven four three two four four four. 
let me correct that. You can call or text 443-743-2444. It's very simple to order. Um, they do one batch at a time. There's only two choices of products. Max, what can you order there? Really simple. You can order CBD drops, the original full-spectrum hemp extract in MCT oil. This is used for sublingual, which means under the tongue. You can also use it topically on your skin. Also great for pets, by the way. Or the other choice is our new CBD roll-on cream blended with other natural ingredients for a different way to deliver our full-spectrum hemp extracts in a convenient roll-on applicator. We love it. Feels really great on your muscles. It smells great, too. Did you know that we do free shipping? I knew that. I hope everybody That's knows right. that. Free <laughs> shipping, absolutely, for all of you. Oh, you can call or text us, again, 443-743-2444. We, they, are happy to help. Finally, a gentle reminder to everybody, please don't take anything said on this program as professional, medical, legal, or financial advice. We are here to entertain you, hopefully educate you, and... Um, here to have a little bit of fun. I'm honored, truly honored, to introduce you to our special guest today, Joy Beckerman. Joy is a living legend, truly. An internationally renowned hemp advocate and a law and policy expert. As her name suggests, just a joy to talk with and get to meet, as you'll soon find out. Such an exciting, positive president, pre, excuse me, presence. We just love her energy. She's been actively involved in the hemp industry for over 30 years Extraordinary passion for this versatile, valuable, and plant-saving crop is contagious. Among many royal roles, Joy's the principal at Hemp Ace International, which is a consulting legal support and expert witness firm serving the global community. She also serves on multiple nonprofit hemp and cannabis-related boards and committees. Joy, we're delighted you could join us today. Welcome to Understanding CBD. Thank you for joining us. I am so excited to be here, guys, and what an awesome song to start the show. Thank you for that great pick. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and it only gets better from here, Joy. It only gets better Trust from here. Um, but, yeah, awesome. <laughs> we want to thank you, obviously, for for everything you've done, your bravery, your passion that you bring to the table, your focus. Um, it really is inspiring, and um, we're really honored to have you on the show, um, finally. You know, I guess, Max, it only took us 80 episodes, right? That's it. Um, so if that's any... Um, uh, advice for young kids, don't give up, right? Don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. Think good things do happen. Keep at it. <laughs> anyway, um, we, um, we want to, once we get to know you a little bit later, uh, we'll get, we'll get to know you a bit first. Um, we'll get to some other things, but, um, what I wanted to know really was how did, um, cannabis make its way into your life? Ah, uh, ah, uh, you know, it is. A part of everybody, if you even look back into your own childhood, like when was the first time that you heard of this thing? Uh, so I guess the reality is in high school is the first time that I consumed uh, cannabis. Uh, and so it, it was a part of my life really since probably I was age, I think, 15, the first time that I, that I consumed cannabis. Um, and so only knew about it from the perspective of, frankly, uh, relief, spirituality, a different train of thought, dancing, relaxation. Um, but it really didn't become a major part of my life until I began to follow the Grateful Dead uh, in 1990. Wow. So what about in, in the Grateful Dead? What happened there that changed for you? Uh, because the Grateful Dead, actually, and I was a bit of a poster child for the Grateful Dead, bear in mind that it was really as much of a traveling, amazing circus that it was. This was the Grateful Dead was carrying the torch of 
all of these movements, all of these revolutions of consciousness, of religion, of veganism, of home birth, I learned about everything. I mean, I ended up having my two children at home because of information that I learned on Grateful Dead Tour. And what I learned on Grateful Dead Tour in the spring of 1990 was some excerpts from the book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, which is really the foundation or the Bible of the hemp and all forms of cannabis movements written by Jack Herrer, um, may he rest in peace, and edited by Chris Conrad, who's still with us, thank goodness, and, and such a prolific uh, activist. And it, it just transformed the information that this plant that had been this sort of clandestine, dark, hide about it, you know, shouldn't be very proud, people look, don't look upon this well, uh, all of those social taboos. All of a sudden, I was given this enlightening bit of information that this plant, is not something to be ashamed of. This plant, not only had the American government, who have been the entire global bullies, by the way, for global prohibition, tried to remove the plant, eradicate the plant from our consciousness, but also tried to remove all knowledge of the plant from our consciousness, and that, in fact, just from these few facts that I had learned, our libraries, our encyclopedias, our, our books, our history books, and our, our books about every industry should be filled with knowledge of this plant, and it is not. And so at that point, what kicked in for me was a sense of planetary healing, a sense of justice, combined with how I was already feeling about this one aspect of this plant, which was smoking it. Um, and it was a convergence that literally altered the trajectory of my entire life. It affected me on a cellular level, just the information. So Steve and I were talking before the show about how I've been to a single dead show back when I was in school, and uh, he said he was at a dead show. And I, the last thing I was thinking about at a dead show was learning about anything from a book or really applying that in any entrepreneurial way. Admittedly, I was more just enjoying the experience, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I do want to talk about the fact that so your book or the book that you read um, had an influence for you to take an entrepreneurial step forward, and you had a store at some point that you opened? Yes, so I opened the first store uh, in the state of New York, post-prohibition, I guess, temp store in the state of New York in the early 90s, um, heaven on earth, right there in Woodstock, uh, New York. It really inspired me to um, bring forth this consciousness. I mean, it wasn't popular at the time. It was, I, I we do another show sometime in a year from now if you folks want to have me back so I can tell you about the cease and desist letter that I got from the U.S. Secret Service because it takes a good five minutes to tell. It's a fascinating story, but I really subjected myself to all kinds of uh, law enforcement attention, the Woodstock police, which is what led to the cease and desist order, were constantly in there trying to buy marijuana from me, which of course I wasn't selling. They tried to, uh, they sent my twine to Albany for testing for THC. They sent my sterilized seeds to Albany uh, for testing for THC. When all of that came back negative, they sent uh, the dollar bills, which I every single dollar bill that went in and out of the store was stamped with I grew hemp coming out of George Washington's mouth. And so when they nice. all of that, they, they sent that to the U.S. Secret Service. So I got a cease and desist order for mutilating U.S. currency, which I completely um, won and, and, and resisted. And, and that's what makes the story. But the bottom line is, no, it, it wasn't popular. And it was, it was uh, and folks were afraid to come into the store as well, as you might imagine. So it, I had to close it by 1996. 
Well, and then I, I went to Vermont and ran three STEM stores there. Nice. Right. So, and then you transitioned from that into um, becoming a complex civil litigation paralegal, which, um, by the American Bar Association description, is an indispensable paralegal has the ability to multitask, strong attention to detail, willingness to learn, and expertise in organization and psychic abilities. Um, is that you? Is that is that why you made the transition? <laughs> Uh, you know, I think, thank you for asking. I, I was raised by a really hardcore attorney um, in the state of Maine and went to school. I was an English major and also studied paralegal studies at Fisher College. Um, but yes, that is absolutely me and my sons, who are now 27 and 29, both of whom have earned their master's in the last couple of months. Um, you know, they, be, they got a little older, as it were. And so uh, running hemp stores, uh, and, and the like was not cutting the mustard in terms of the quality of life that I wanted as a single mother to provide for my children. And so I relocated the family to Seattle, uh, which is a very vibrant economy, very friendly uh, to single mothers and families, um, and began that, that dual career in compliance and complex civil litigation with him so that I could keep them in football cleats and, God help me, little Ralph Lauren Polo logos. Well, beautiful. It's nice that we got to know you a little bit. And um, in anticipation of your arrival today, Max was busy and he built a, uh, constructed a time machine. Um, and he actually constructed it out of hemp. Um, we do need to take a commercial break. And it, you seem like you'd be okay driving, um, Joy. You'll, you'll be able to drive us with this time machine. So stay with us. We'll be right back with more of Joy Beckerman. Welcome in and welcome back into Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. Hola, Steve Wallman. Hello, Joy Beckerman. Hello, gentlemen. If you're just tuning in, we're talking live with the legend Joy Beckerman about the purpose and promise of cannabis. And that song was The Grateful Dead, New Speedway Boogie. Joy, tell us, you. you really like the, the Grateful Dead, huh? A real lot, you guys. You kind of either either you don't like them at all, or you could live without them, or you are obsessed, and I am a total deadhead. Yeah, that's great. And I could tell. We've had a couple guests that way. Um, uh, Susan Leopold. I'm not sure if you know Susan Leopold. She's an ethnobotanist. Um, and uh, Shad... Um, Bjork. 
Yurt from, from the, uh, uh, he's uh, a university professor in right. Maryland uh, that has cannabis uh, programs. So. UMBC, actually. Yeah, UMBC. That's where it was. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Or Arundel Command. Anyway, we're getting we're sidetracked here, Joy. This is going to happen sometimes. But anyway, of it's course. fun It's fun talking with you on the radio. And it's it's um, you're used to this, right? You have a podcast of your own, right? Tell us about that. I do. Uh, Hemp Baron is a, a podcast that I've been doing since I think June of 2019, and I and I do lots of you know educating and, and public speaking. So very used to all of this, and and tangents happen. I, I trust the plant <laughs> during all those conversations. Well, and that's that's where we're going right now. I, I trusted the plant too. I all weekend long I spent building a time machine for you. I, I built it out of hemp. I used the fiber. I used the seeds. I used everything actually. How do you like that? Awesome. I, well, I believe it. You can do it all. And I'm, and I'm turning the, the controls over to you because I, I'm sure you want to take us through a trip back in time uh, before cannabis wasn't prohibited um, and when the plant was expressing its true purpose and really delivering on its promise. So I'm officially handing you the switch. You turn it on and go for it, Joy. All right, mister, and I'm going to be mindful of time because what a journey it is. So first, I like us to ponder when I tell this story, just in America alone, although this plant, of course, is at least 10,000 years old, originating as far as we can tell in China. But let's bring it to America, Hempstead, Long Island, Hempstead County, Arkansas, Hempstead, Texas, Hemp Hill, North Carolina, Hempfield, Pennsylvania. Guys, this plant has been a huge part of even U.S. Uh, history. In fact, we wouldn't have the U.S. The Mayflower sails and all of its rigging and the clothes that people were wearing and even the oakum, which held between the boards uh, of the Mayflower, of course, were all hemp. It was, in fact, of such tremendous need for our nation's security that our very first cannabis law here in the United States was actually in 1619 in the Jamestown colony, ordering farmers to make trial, meaning grow, uh, make trial of the Indian hemp seed. Between 1631 and the early 1800s, we were actually able to use hemp as U.S. currency. People paid their taxes with it. It was that encouraged and that of necessity. There were even times where we had periods of shortage in the United States between 1763 and 1767 is one example, again, uh, in Jamestown or in various parts of Virginia that farmers could even be jailed for not producing hemp. We depended on it that much. Um, and taking ourselves out of the U.S. just for a second, because it comes back in a United States way, uh, analogous way, when it, we get up to World War II. But in 1812, Napoleon's uh, War of 1812, Napoleon actually strategically invaded Russia to cut off the English Navy's supply of hemp. Most developed countries, uh, which uh, time being all relative, including England at the time, still did not grow enough of its own demand. There was such a demand for hemp. I mean, the world supply of paper, textiles, all of those things. And so they largely depended on Russia. Napoleon uh, was able to invade Russia, cripple the English Navy supply that was very strategic and successful. We'll put a pin in that. In 1850, our own United States Census shows that we had 8,327 hemp plantations in the United States, wow. a plantation being no less than a 200-acre farm uh, in that definition. So be mindful that that 8,327 number didn't even uh, account for the many uh, family plots, hundreds and thousands of family hemp plots and smaller than plantation hemp farms uh, that were throughout the United States. Then. 
1930, I mean, we went through guys are better living through chemistry. We had to go through it. Let's not judge it. Humanity had to deal with it. We're, we finally are starting to understand that better living through chemistry is not sustainable or regenerative. Uh, but when all of these things started to happen, and it really started to happen around 1794 is the reality in terms of the first, what I call the foundational underpinning of cannabis prohibition, in that the cotton gin was invented. Well, once these, pat these machines are invented and patented, uh, patents are granted, uh, at, at that point, that machine needs to make money. We've got special interests. We've got to snuff out the competition. So there was incredible special interest around fiber wars in the South uh, that resulted, of course, and continued for decades from the invention of the cotton gin. But we also had, of course, synthetic polymer, uh, petroleum-based uh, plastics and nylons being invented. We also had the wood craft cellulose paper and pulp uh, inventions. That, that patent alone uh, had to snuff out hemp, right, which is horrible environmentally. Think of how much linen is in, is in a tree. And, and the other sort of fourth foundational linchpin there would be that in, by 1925, we had five pages of cannabis preparations in the U.S. Pharmacopeia, but they weren't patented. Uh, so nobody potentially really knew, you know, why, why they worked. But in 1927, we learned how to extract salicylic acid from willow bark, making the first aspirin or analgesic competition to these cannabis preparations. So you have all of this better living through chemistry stuff happening to eventually want to snuff out the competition. And so in 1930, uh, then Secretary of the Treasury Andrew Mellon of Mellon Bank of Alcoa appoints uh, Henry Anslinger to be Executive Director of the FBN, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which we know today as the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration. And he embarks on what becomes really a seven-year social engineering campaign uh, to demonize this street scourge that did not exist of marijuana uh, when really it was a, 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 a major convergence, a harmonic convergence of special interests that led to eventually the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act, which is in fact its own show. Now, the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act simply taxed and regulated all forms of cannabis uh, out of existence, essentially, and farmers went on to serve other crops. Um, but bear in mind that it wasn't until 1970, the Controlled Substances Act, where it became an actual felony simply to possess a seed capable of germination. But in between there, remember I told you to stick a pin in what uh, Napoleon did to Russia, we had World War II. Well, 1937, we tax and regulate hemp out of existence, and guess what happens? In 1941, Japan strategically invades Manila to cut off the United States's Navy's supply of hemp to, and cripples our Navy. So what happens is the USDA and folks, please, if you're bored or curious, at, at some point when you get on YouTube, I want you to Google hemp for victory. Take the one that's about 14 minutes long so you don't get some hippie's dissertation on what is really just about a 14-minute USDA and 4-H film called Hemp for Victory that was distributed in 1941, basically begging farmers uh, to plant hemp seeds in the United States. USDA actually had to distribute 400,000 pounds of hemp seeds to American farmers from Wisconsin to Kentucky throughout the war so they could produce 42,000 tons of hemp fiber annually until 1946 for the English Navy. Again, we've got that Controlled Substances Act. Nothing happens after 1970 other than P. 
people like me and an army of people like me coming in and trying to legalize this plant in all of its forms. Uh, and I've also formally sat on National Normal Board of Directors. I currently sit on the International Normal Women's Alliance. Um, we are still very much trying for adult use and medical, and we will get there. But in 2014, the, the 2014 Farm Bill passed. It created agricultural pilot programs to study the growth, cultivation, and marketing of this new thing defined for the first time in U.S. history, industrial hemp was given a definition and thereby was being distinguished from its cousins, sisters, adult use and medical cannabis. And then, of course, in 2018, we have the 2018 Farm Bill, which then moved hemp from this agricultural pilot sort of research state into a full-on agricultural commodity, removing hemp and tetrahydrocannabinols derived from hemp from the shackles of the Controlled Substances Act. And now hemp and tetrahydrocannabinols derived from hemp have reclaimed their place in the broad light of day with all of America's other legal agricultural commodities. So it has been, you know, quite a, a journey. And as I, to sum it up, as I like to say through the years 1619, it's everyone must make trial of hemp. 1763, you must grow hemp or you will be jailed. 1937, you must apply for and pay a very special tax if you would like to grow hemp. 1942, we really need you to grow hemp for the war. 1970, don't you dare grow hemp. 2014, make trial of hemp to study its growth and marketing. And 2018, please grow hemp again as an agricultural commodity. And we are now seeing hundreds of millions of dollars being poured into the reemergence of this crop. What a terrible marriage. God, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> that's what it reminded me Tumultuous. of. Tumultuous. You know, exactly. Which, which mixed messages here, right? Very frustrating. Where are the roses? Thank you Where for really roses? taking us through that. There, and, there, you know, this really is scratching the surface, and we have so many questions to get to. Um, and, um, you know, some of the, the interesting questions that, that come up for me is when hemp was grown and it was in its, its, its hemp day, right? It was everywhere. What happened to all the um, machinery and equipment that was used to process it? Um, because there was, they were making sales, right? They were making f f um, textiles. Um, what happened to everything? Did it just, you know, what happened? Excellent question. And if, when you see that movie, Hemp for Victory, you'll see the incredible machinery right here in the United States making these ropes and these textiles, right? Well, we eventually, manufacturing alone, we've been giving away our jobs and our economy to the competition for decades, not just in hemp, but in everything, you know, in textile manufacturing alone. So a lot of that equipment was melted, sunk into the ground, and some of it, from what I understand, was sold to Mexico, and they're not using it either. Um, so that's ultimately what happened, is, is a convergence of other bad decisions around and I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and land-based capitalism, but around our exploration of, of the free market, um, there have been all kinds of bad decisions along the way that have led to where we are at right now with a lack of jobs, a lack of manufacturing here, um, and, uh, and, and ultimately we, we simply are not using them. We are reinventing and re-infrastructuring all of that equipment and processing and manufacturing now. 
the, the prohibition was terrible. I mean, a lot of people suffered. I'm sure a lot of people were jailed. I mean, and I'm sure you have a lot of insight around that. But a lot of, let's call them entities, got very rich. And, you know, we could probably guess who some of those entities are. I'm sure you have an opinion about that. Um, what do you think? Absolutely. Well, we certainly know the pharmaceutical industry, which, which remains, we don't have the same, uh, in, from a hemp perspective, we don't have the same lobbyists against us as we did back then, because, you know, the oil and gas industry is well aware that they have finite resources and are putting a ton of money into investigating all of these renewable resources for fuel and things. But, but pharmaceutical industry, certainly, they are still a major player in the fight against all forms of cannabis. So they got very wealthy, uh, obviously. Um, certainly industry, you know, again, plastics, textiles, building materials, when you snuff out uh, a plant that was doing all of these things, um, those are the industries that are going to take over. But certainly uh, the, the plastics, nylons, fuels, paper, and textile industries uh, became quite wealthy. And then to, to remove the hemp seed, which is the most digestible form of protein in the entire plant and animal kingdom, although there's some recent uh, research saying, well, it's commensurate with this, it's commensurate with that, you know, uh, it's about 60% Edison protein, which is globular and more easily digested. I mean, so even food, every aspect, but absolutely paper, plastics, energy, and pharmaceuticals. Well, great. Well, thanks, Joy. We appreciate that. We need to take a short break. We're going to come back with more. Thanks for taking us on our journey. We're going to take a hop to the future here, if you will. Let's visualize what's happening here. Um, we're here with Joy Beckerman. Stay with us on Understanding CBD. Now more of Understanding CBD with Max and Stephen on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Hello, everybody, and welcome back into Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. Hey, 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 Steve Wallman. Hello, Joy Beckerman. Hey, guys. You made it to stay back with us. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between, we're here with uh, a living legend, internationally renowned hemp advocate and law and policy expert, Joy Beckerman. Um, so, Joy, here we are um, almost in the year 2022, um, looking back to, you know, the, the young girl at the uh, Dead concert. Is it what you imagine today would be like? From a hemp perspective, let's, let's, let's yeah. give you some... Give you some uh, it's bigger. It's better. It, real life is almost always better than you can imagine. I mean, we and we have so much farther to go. But guys, it, this is a dream come true. And, and, and when I speak with students, especially college students or, or younger, I say dream big and don't stifle those dreams because you'll achieve them. And then you've got to dream bigger. And no, I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't. And I had an unrealistic view. I thought the whole world was going to be covered in hemp, and that would be monocropping. So, you know, there's so much that I've learned since that 20-year-old girl uh, in 1990. Um, but, no, it's bigger, better, awesomer. Uh, we are cooking with gas, people, yes. and it's awesome. 
Well, good. Speaking of, uh, so I'm co- we're cooking, right? So I'm, I've got this uh, hemp time machine that I'm tweaking right now. I just lubricated it with a little hemp oil. And now we're going to take a trip to the future. That's what this is about. So the year is 2036. It's 15 years in the future, and apparently only half the time you've been working with the plant. Um, so what's it looking like for the plant? Is it, plant? Is it free? I mean, are we free? Is anything free? <laughs> by, 20, by 2036, I think that we'll have a lot less of the hysterical regulation uh, that we are dealing with right now, both from just an, a growing perspective with this constant focus on the THC, uh, Delta 9 THC. I think by then we will be uh, regulating based on the intended use of the crop. So I think that crops that are intended for industrial purposes will have regulation for industrial purposes, which means why would we care how much THC is in this plant? It's not going to be consumed by a human or an animal, or if it's going to be grown for medical purposes or dietary supplement purposes. Um, And by that, I'm, I'm talking about all forms of cannabis. So my hope is that by 2036, given the tremendous consciousness revolution that's happening right now, that there is, and, and I think that there's an expanded, there's sort of an acceleration of understanding and, and an evolution of consciousness that's happening right now because there's so much going on in the world, plant medicine, fungus, climate change, environmental uh, innovations in, in industry. So all of that that is happening at once, I think, will lead us to uh, regulating cannabis as cannabis and if it's, being, if it's cannabis that's industrial, then those are the regulations. Medical, those are the regulations. Nutritional, those are the regulations, that type of thing. And I certainly see that we will have learned, uh, the FDA will have long since created a regulatory framework for hemp extract, which I do predict probably will not include isolate. I think isolate, um, unless we have a major revolution of our food and, and drug laws, will probably remain in, in a pharmaceutical category, but the full-spectrum hemp extract and broad-spectrum hemp extracts within a certain allowable daily uh, milligram maximum amount will be available from a dietary supplement and hopefully food additive uh, perspective. Um, and of course, that in terms of paper, textile, building materials, energy storage, charcoal fuel pellets, nanotechnology, uh, bioplastics, that all of these things have now well started to uh, integrate this incredible plant, which is, you know, not just creating economic stability or environmental stability. The reality is that when you introduce hemp in an R&D proven way into your existing products, it has superior capabilities that is going to make your product bigger, faster, stronger, taking less energy, uh, creating more value in the value chain, supply chain, nutritional chain, whatever it is. So I think we're going to see some real delivering on the promise. Well, and I do, I do love your, your vision that you're painting there Amen. for the future. Now, I have a, a huge fear, okay, and I'm not one to hold myself back, so I'm going to put it out on the table. I'm a small business owner, um, and um, in most of the communities that we've seen over the past decade or so have been decimated by the Walmarts, now Amazon, Costco, even though I love it. Sorry, Linda. It's a great company, but it's loaded with plastic and garbage. Um, you know, the FDA has just taken um, a big step in destroying small business with the vapor industry and siding with big tobacco. What can we do, because I know we can do something, to make sure that this plant doesn't end up in the hand of corporate greed and, and everybody that paid the price over the years for 
um, believing in it and standing up for it. What can we do to really ensure that there's some earmarks for us, the people? So there is a difference between, you know, I think the answer is going to be slightly different for hemp right now um, than it will be for adult and medical use. Um, but having said that, because we have the USDA from a hemp perspective, and I hope that we're going to have the USDA on our side when we can federally legalize other forms. But bear in mind that developing rural America, which is small businesses, which is the heartbeat of America, rural farmers, rural economy, rural jobs, is a huge part of what the USDA does and what agriculture is about. Um, and, and so in that respect, I think we have a lot of ears and listening. So as long as the advocates and academia and the nonprofits and the for-profits, we're all working together on this plant with the USDA and with our local state departments of ag, we're going to be able to, to have sound arguments that must be listened to to continue uh, for smaller businesses and, and very small businesses and sole, sole proprietors uh, to be able to stay engaged. When we get into the more pharmaceutical aspects of it, um, it, it's going to be interesting to see because obviously we've got CGMP, current good manufacturing practice, you know, in the codes of federal regulations, which can be very expensive. Um, so hardcore advocacy, the Small Business Administration is very much on the side of, for hemp, for small businesses. We're going to need to appeal to the Small Business Administration for these other forms of cannabis as well. They will be a major um, partner and advocate uh, for small businesses. Right. All right, great. Now, we have to take a short break. We have some listener questions to get to, Joy. Um, stay with us. We'll be right back after these words. more of Understanding CBD with Max and Stephen on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. Hello, Steve Woman. Hello, Joy Beckerman. Hello, Max and Steve. Glad you're here. We have a lot of questions here to get to today, and we may only be able to get to a few of them, but I wanted to, to at least start. Um, First question here, how do you choose what to buy? Um, actually, they're assuming you, you've been to a medical dispensary, medical marijuana dispensary. They say, how do you choose what to buy at the dispensary? I always go in, guys, not that they're going to be able to ask, but this is also how I judge my dispensaries. I say, I would like an organic female grown. Show me the organic female grown plant uh, <laughs> product. Now, mostly they say female grown. And then I'm like, yep, I want to know if a female grew the plant. Do you know who your growers are? Mm. Um, because I do, I just prefer that. And then I, I want the most organic or pesticide free. And we, and we start from there. And then if I'm being honest, guys, from there, I say, of those, what's on sale? Gotcha. So like looking at cannabinoids or terpenes, that's less important than it is about the, uh, the female grown and what the inputs are of the plant makes sense it, uh, that's me, good advice for me it ab for absolutely you. is i have my favorite strains um gorilla glue, glue afghan hash plant I, I certainly have my favorite strains um but it is far more important to me can i support a female grower uh and what are the inputs in in this plant 
Hmm. All right, great. We got a uh, family question here. At what age is it okay to talk to my kids about cannabis? Uh, guys, my children were born into marijuana smoke. I had two home births in ceremony. Uh, we had Nag Champa incense. We had cannabis smoke. So my children don't know anything but a life of cannabis. Um, my children, by the way, who are uh, National Honor Society student athletes, both of them just got their master's degree in the last two months, one of whom was the president of the UK MBA Student Association, the other one who was the chair of the UW Chancellery Advisory Council. You know, I have outstanding overachieving right, Chip off the old block. It's like handing me my lighter by the time they were four. Nice. There's your answer. That's my answer. Right? There's your answer. <laughs> Get him started early. You don't not talk about it. You simply, it's part of my, my culture, my spirituality. My children were raised in it literally from birth. There's no reason to vilify it. That's the point. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, and, and exactly. I, I mean, I'd be a little embarrassed about my alcohol consumption, which yeah. I didn't consume while I was parenting, but certainly not my consumption of this plant. Word. Great. Well, we are getting close to the end, Joy, and we've we've taken on a you've taken us on a great ride. Um, we'd like to know: is there something we missed, or a message that, in closing, you'd like to impart on the listeners? <laughs> I think that's a yes. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Buy hemp. That is how we continue to create the demand for this interest industry. To tell these these entrepreneurs and investors that it is a safe, good bet. For them to invest their dollars into the infrastructure which we very much need to process this plant uh, buy hemp whatever choice you're making whatever product you're buying please see whether it's food whether it's for your body for your home my I, my my textiles my curtains and my sheets and my towels and my bath mat they are all hemp guys make that choice please buy hemp that is one of the greatest things that you can do to advance uh this incredible plant uh, and to deliver on this promise of this emergency, emerging economy is buy hemp. And the other is to please go to hempsupporter.com, which is a 501c4 nonprofit advocacy organization, the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, which does the most important advocacy work in hemp. We will never bombard you with emails just when there's a call to action. And then we need you to take those 60 seconds to engage in the process to make your voice heard. We did tremendous, unbelievable effects with all of the states and with the federal Congress when we when we use our hempsupporter.com uh, voice software for different bills at the state and, and congressional level. So engage in the process, buy hemp, go to hempsupporter.com so that you can have your voice heard. Those are the two greatest things we can do. And I'm really grateful you asked me that question, guys. Joy, what a pleasure to have you on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for giving us all of that sage advice, as well as the contact information about how our listeners, both live and on the podcast, can get involved and actually make a difference. And we agree, buy hemp. And if it's in CBD form, buy Max and Stevens. That's right. Joy, how do people get in touch with you? I know um, if, if they heard your, your speaking here, they, you'd, they'd want you to speak at their, their event or to their team, or they just want some consultation. How do people reach you? Uh, well, they can reach me at hempace.com, like the ace of spades or the ace of hemp, as it were, hempace.com. 
Gentlemen.com, spelled just as you think it would be spelled. And gentlemen, thank you because you do such a tremendous job creating this platform, getting this important information out to the people and doing the best that you can. And you succeed so well with the incredible products that you make and the information that you provide. You guys are awesome. Thank you, Max and Steve. Thank you very much, Joy Beckerman. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you all for listening. Another Sunday in the books, episode 81. God bless you all. Visit us at maxandstevens.com. Call or text us at 443-743-2444.